Welcome to the Marketeers Podcast, your go-to source for insights, inspiration, and innovative strategies in the world of marketing. Join us as we delve into the latest trends and strategies through in-depth interviews with top professionals. Whether you're a marketer, entrepreneur, or simply interested in learning more about the industry, our show has something for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Tomate Presents, The Three Marketeers. Today, along the conversation, we are going to explore about marketing and marketing automation and also the impacts that marketing automation might have due to AI being introduced. So today, along with us, I have Kushal Pandapa, who is the CEO of Google Corporation, and also Manoj Raj, who is an expert in data analysis and also end-to-end customer portfolio building. Today, along with us, we have Brandon Beckham, who has come from all the way from US to do this podcast. He has worked with big ad tech giants like Google and Groundrot. Brandon has expertise both in advertising and psychology, which makes him the right person to speak about understanding the consumer psychology and implementing it to your business. That business, if you are planning to start a brand or anything, you can contact us. (laughs) That's a very good start. (laughs) It's on page. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you know it's gone. Care. Life is easier with you. Yeah, at least people are really minimalistic, right? Brandon, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you on the show today. Hello and good evening to you all there in India. Three Musketeers, good morning from Brooklyn, New York. Good evening, Brandon. And first of all, thank you for doing this, connecting from all the way from the US. It's really a great thing for us and it's really great having you on the show. It's a very great pleasure to be here. Kase ho for you all. (laughs) I'm very good. Thank you. I'm very good, Brandon. So yeah, uh, I've, I really want to ask you a few personal questions because I've seen your uh, profile and you started as a program coordinator at European Times, right? And today you work as a sales, sales development manager and you lead many teams under you, right? And like, I really want to know how was your journey from there to here? That's something that you know interests me on a personal note. Sure. Uh, uh, thank you for asking. I'll, I'll say first off that it may not seem intentional, uh, but all of the, the career moves that I've made uh, to start my career, first off, taking that opportunity, which was abroad, uh, my only my second time leaving the United States uh, at the very young age of 22. Uh, but essentially, at that point in my t- in my career, I really just wanted an opportunity to see more of the world and to travel. Um, so I was working in university, and that was the first job opportunity that I received an offer for. So I was working in, uh, or excuse me, living in Pennsylvania in university. The job interview was in Washington, D.C. Oh. And then when I eventually got the job, they told us we were going to be moving to Belgium, the country Belgium, uh, in the next uh, three to six weeks. And so it was a very kind of spontaneous opportunity for me, but one that I really looked forward to as I was hoping to travel the world a little bit more. And that job really helped me refine my listening skills, my interview skills. It really humbled me to cultures and, and really allowed me to expand my understanding of the very different nature of business across the world. Um, and so with that very opportunity, I lived in four different countries, Kosovo, Bulgaria, Panama and Central America, as well as Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I had a really wonderful, wonderful time. And 
that opportunity really essentially opened up a door where I would be recruited to New York. Um, at the time, I wasn't looking for an opportunity specifically in the United States, but I was working in Panama, Central America, and a company reached out to me about an opportunity in New York. I had always, always wanted to be in advertising, living in the Big Apple, of course, coming from the Midwest, Ohio, in, uh, in the United States. And so when that opportunity was knocking, I thought, you know, this would be a really great opportunity and time to make that kind of career move. Uh, it just so happened that I thought... If I have that one interview, leaving and quitting my job based off the one interview opportunity really doesn't seem like a wise idea. That seems like a brave decision for me. Yeah, it's a very much a decision. Um, so essentially what I did was I thought if I can line up four more interviews for that same week that I received this initial interview, then out of five jobs, I definitely can land one of them. <laughs> you know? um, and so I spent the next uh, four days or so calling and sending my resume around to a bunch of different organizations. And I would eventually land and receive the offer from the company that initially had reached out to me. So um, that company on my resume was called Mondo. Uh, previously to Mondo, they were called Blue Wolf. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Blue Wolf slash Mondo at the time was an IT technology recruiting company. Uh, so essentially, they were the company that reach out to gentlemen like us and say, hey, are you interested in a job working for this firm? They need business development people or they need a business analyst. At the time, it was very hard technology jobs, right? So coders and business analysts. Um, right around the time 2013 is when the conversation around programmatic advertising really began to take foot and take a hold of the industry. Um, and so my organization at the time thought what we're going to do is we're going to start recruiting for the technical jobs at the advertising and the marketing companies. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I was pretty good at the job already uh, as far as the sales and things like that. But once we started recruiting for roles like programmatic campaign managers, uh, technical account managers, etc. I thought, you know what, this might be a really great opportunity for me to make the segue into advertising. From there, you started, uh, you know, getting into the advertising industry. Yeah. Is it the, like the first step that you took into the advertising industry, right? Right. That This is the first step. And essentially, I found an opportunity that really just matched my skill set. It wasn't really about the fact that I was coming from advertising because I was not. But the campaign manager role, which is the role that I would eventually uh, apply for and transition to straight from that IT tech company, was a role that was technical in scope in the sense that you had to manage DCM, double click uh, for marketers at the time and DCA, double click for advertisers at the time, as well as a few other uh, platforms like DSPs. I thought that's something that's learnable, right? And then the industry at that point became very much what I studied in university, which was impressions, uh, delivery, KPI, things of that nature. And that was the advertising portion of my advertising and psychology education at Penn State. So that's kind of how I made my transition into media. And I, I joined Horizon Media. Is right, then uh, you never uh, really, you know, in a way started like, okay, I'm going to be in the advertising. That's not how it started. And, you know, along the way, you kind of figured it out, right? Absolutely. It's an unconventional path. Yeah. And um, I really wanted to share that story for that specific reason, because I know that there are a lot of people. Who yeah. Yeah. On that note, I really wanted to ask this, right? Uh, like, 
uh, you have like you know the the journey itself what you what you're telling right now is very interesting right like you know starting uh, as a program coordinator and to be here and i think you have many things to you know uh, you have a lot of experience right in general so i'm i want to ask you brandon like what do you have to say to those young generation people who are just starting out in the marketing industry you know wh- how should they you know what should they expect and prepare themselves for the first thing that i think they should prepare for is competition uh competition and, and the reason i say that word is because one more people are attending university than ever before uh two over the course of the past 4 or 5 years we've seen an enormous amount of IPOs right initial public offerings and companies that were one time nascent and small startups become multi billion dollar organizations with very high operating budgets and those jobs are paying very well right so when i say competition it's because there are a great amount of opportunities uh there are a great amount of high paying opportunities too and then there are more educated people so if you're getting into this industry starting off or considering it be recognizing that this is going to be an opportunity for you to really refine your skills and learn um and so anytime there's that competition also there are athletes i think about this as a former athlete myself i was an american football player right um you can be a very good athlete at a very good small school hmm. right but then you go to university and you join a, a university team of athletes that are all very good that all come from very small schools it feels a lot like that's what the tech space is like so i think it's just being ready for the competition first second is refining your skill set so recognizing what it is that you're good at um in this space and it might be something as simple as designing decks right it may be something simple like conveying a message and actually being able to speak there are a lot of opportunities in technology that fit unconventional skill sets i know people who work in this industry who were formerly grade school teachers right um so it's something that's very much learnable but then it's also there's a ton of opportunity because also new roles are being created virtually every year uh in this space so i think it's one of those things where it's just a matter of being ready to compete and then also recognizing what you're good at and aligning the two do you speak about something creating a high impact strategy and uh, about integrated marketing campaigns can you shed some uh, light on this i can i can um so in my most recent role at google the most important thing that was my responsibility was to understand what a customer's business objectives are and then recognize the difference between where they are currently and then the tools available to help them get there um so a high impact strategy let's take a brand like H&M that I've worked with in the past right naturally the holiday season is a very prominent season for them whether it's for selling clothes for specific events be it the christmas holiday new year um also people having more money in their pockets because of the end of year bonuses things of that nature okay excuse me this high impact strategy starts with business goals business goals as in numbers or uh, uh, the amount of people that you should reach or like uh, what is the goal here actually right so we're actually going a little bit higher up the funnel richer number of people that you can reach is more so like a campaign goal yes. right we have this amount of budget we'd like to reach this many people during this campaign activation a business goal however might be we want to expand our reach amongst a specific audience so h&m wants to have a greater appeal to generation z as opposed to 
millennial generation like us who know the brand H&M, we're faithful H&M, you know, shoppers, things of that nature. How do they appeal to a different generation? That's a business goal. Um, so my, my responsibility would be essentially to do things like research, understanding what are the motivations of Gen Z shoppers. Uh, that way, when I take those recommendations back to H&M, the brand is to say that, listen, Generation Z, yes, they care about looking good, but they're more tied to specific causes, right? Things that support uh, sustainability in the earth. I mean, like, how do you understand uh, the know-how, the Gen Z's expectations? The, there's a lot of research also, you know, you speak about here, right? The research process, can you sh- shed some light on that? Like, how do you understand Gen Z's mindset and consumer mindset here? Yeah, it's, it's specifically research, right? Um, so everything from reading those studies that are put out by the likes of Google, the Trade Desk, Ipsos, Forrester Research, a lot of these organizations do sort of a generalized research study on all of these different audience segments. And the reason being is because it's their responsibility, these organizations, to educate the rest of the industry. Um, And oftentimes the reason they might do a paper, say, on Gen Z, it's because they have a clientele that's specifically focused on Gen Z. So when you're working at one of these larger organizations and institutions, they have entire teams that are dedicated to research. Right. Um, So at the beginning of the process, it's always best practice to understand more about exactly the goals that you're trying to achieve. And in this instance, if Generation Z and understanding the appeal what also you know gets them and moves them to purchase. If that's a part of your uh, your execution strategy, then that's an easy place to start. And then some of the referable. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. That that's business one on one. Some of the really reputable organizations that provide said research, right? Whether they be Google, Ipsos. Uh, those are a really great place to start because they give you a really high and general view of what's happening, what's trending with those particular audiences or within a particular industry. And from there, it's a matter of creating a story. Um, a really, really big part of my role at Google was creating a story narrative. Creating a story. Uh, yeah, that's something really interesting that you're bringing up right now. Creating the story, you know, like Nike and Adidas and everybody, they have, they have a brand story to tell. They stand for something, right? And even in you know, brands like H&M or, you know, Walmart, and you've been working with uh, several uh, brands, like, you know, I see here Land Rover, BMW, and all these brands, you know, what are their approach to, you know, marketing, you know, to stand out from others? Or even in terms of creating a story, how important essential it is to create a story for your brand? The story is probably the most important part because all of these brands are literally pushing the exact same product, Right. A car is essentially a metal box with four wheels. <laughs> Ergo, BMW, Land Rover, Mercedes, they all kind of have the same business challenge. The difference might be two things. One, who their audience is, right? BMW does not have the same audience as uh, Ford, for example. And then two, the uh, the way that you make your product actually stand out. And that generally has to do with either the utility of the product and or enhanced features that you allow. And I can hearken this back to our industry, right? This is about the kind of vehicle that you drive. So if you go to the trade desk 
vehicle. The trade desk vehicle has very wide utility. It's essentially your SUV, the sport utility vehicle of ad operation platforms. Whereas if you go to someone like YouTube, it's obviously a vehicle that's pertinent to a specific kind of terrain. And that terrain is specifically video, right? So that would be more your luxury car. So in a way, you're telling we have to utilize uh, video platforms to tell these stories, right? Uh, like that's one of the biggest medium that we can utilize. Yeah, it's not necessarily that you have to utilize a specific channel, but it is a matter of understanding where your audience is and which channel they're on. Uh, YouTube happens to have a very large reach, right? So if it's around awareness, things of that nature, it makes a lot of sense. However, if you were trying to drive a purchase of a specific item that's more of like an everyday item, say toilet paper or paper towels, things of that nature, YouTube might not be the place where you'd want to advertise said product because it's not in the action driving mentality. When we are on YouTube, if you think about just the way we use it, more than likely, we're either watching something for entertainment or we're watching something for information. We're not generally in the I need to purchase now mentality. Oh, that's true. That's true, actually. Right. Uh, like, in a way, can you generalize how do you use video marketing along with OTT, you know, like, you know, TV, television, advertisement and commercials? How do you, how does one brand decide, you know, how to utilize all these platforms for their uh, advertisement and uh, commercials? Yeah, great question, Richard. I would start with your budget, right? Uh, and the reason being is because these mediums have very different CPMs. They cost a, a very different amount. Um, number two, the addressability on any one of those channels is also very different. Understanding exactly how many people have seen your media on television is not the same as understanding exactly how many people have seen your ad on a digital platform where there is a one-to-one -one matchup for a exposed consumer ID or device versus the ad. Uh, television does not give you the same kind of reach. So I'd start with you know understanding what our budget is to understanding what our goal is. Uh, if you do have the goal, for example, of selling an actual product, then you want to put that product in a place where a consumer can actually transact, right? Which is more times than not going to be online as opposed to uh, on television. The on television, the only way to follow up and actually purchase something is to call in, right? And say, hey, I just saw this ad on television. They gave you a phone number. However, if you see an ad on YouTube or on a specific uh, website, you can click directly on that ad, drive to the website and purchase your product. So for brands, for advertisers, I think it depends on exactly what your goal is. Television is really awesome for awareness. The same is the case for YouTube, right? People are very much intending to watch the content that they're seeing. Ergo, when your ad shows up in the context of content that I'm paying attention to, I'm now resonating a little bit more. But the the goal or the question is, are you expecting me to purchase something or are you just expecting me to equate your car brand with, you know, towing capacity? Because I'm somebody who needs to tow things around like I have horses or something of that nature. Right. Um, but again, with the CPG brand, I want to see that in context of something that actually gives me the opportunity to purchase. So that could be on Instacart for example, right? Um, I'm going on Instacart ordering my groceries. It makes perfect sense that I would see toilet paper and paper towels as an ad within the context of the media that I'm already consuming.
So Brandon, uh, right now for these days, uh, if you uh, take startups or small or medium businesses, there are multiple platforms like Google search, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok or OTT. There are multiple platforms. Uh, don't you think like these people don't have that much of budgets to invest on these uh, platforms uh, or how they can get started in these platforms? So what, what do you recommend? I do think it's very difficult to understand which platforms to uh, spread your budget across. I think that's one of the growing conundrums of the industry. And in fact, Google has an entire team that's dedicated to what they call MMM, media mix models, which is essentially trying to understand where, which media platform or channel brands should divide their budget across. Uh, but if you're a smaller brand, a nascent brand, I would start with the, the platforms that give you the most return for your dollar and also the most insights into whatever is being done. The reason being is because if you don't have a lot of money, then you need to learn a lot from everything that you do, right? Even if that activation is only, you know, $200, if you're able to get uh, an into engagement rate, for example, or video completion rate, or test multiple creatives within that one campaign, you have to learn a lot early on. The reason being is because every dollar that you're spending is a dollar that leaves your business. And if that dollar does not return on its investment or add ROI, then you're truly just kind of throwing money into the wind. So when it comes to understanding which platform to start on, I would begin with your goals uh, as a small business. And if your goal is leads, for example, then you might want to start with online platforms that are more display focused, right? Actually serve your media in places where people are reading content. And that's, you know, the majority of the display web um, ecospace. If you're trying to get people aware of a new consumer good, a new product, then in that instance, you might want to go somewhere where people have very high attention rate and also very high completion rate. That's video. Right. Uh, because those six second bumper ads on YouTube were designed with intention. Right. They recognize that consumers don't have a skip option for the six second ad. Ergo, you are really geared into that content because it also shows up in a 30 minute program. So you've been watching for eight minutes that the video cuts off eight minutes in and goes into one six second ad that you cannot skip a second six second ad that you cannot skip. And on that third one, you can, right? So those are really about brand building, about awareness, about driving consideration. Um, and then if you're trying to go further down the funnel toward that purchase option, you really wanna find yourself in places where people are in that mode of thinking about where they're purchasing. So whether that be a retail media site Right. Because whether it's, you know, Target, Walmart, round, Target, Roundell, Walmart, um, Amazon and Instacart, people are already in that purchase mindset. So if you have a product that's a consumer good, it makes sense that you would show up in the context of media in that fashion. Whereas social media is more about understanding the influence and, con and creating a consistent message for your brand. Um, I don't think that many advertisers these days are seeing the return on investment that they would like to see from social media. But what they do recognize is that social media enhances their visibility greatly, right? It only takes one, you know, influencer to retweet or to like a 
post in order for something to go viral. And that really raises the, the profile of a brand. So I don't think that many brands are really going that route specifically for sales, unless, of course, there are some of these very uh, nascent clothing brands, right? And they know that people are on Instagram being inspired by what to wear. Uh, and therefore, there's, you know, you're just two clicks away from landing on someone's mobile site that's optimized to sell product. Yes. So, oh, Brandon, all of a sudden, I mean, uh, uh, if you can see like, like last three or four years, all of a sudden this influencer thing came to picture and this video ads, everything is booming in the market. So what might be the next, I mean, uh, after three or four years, what might come or uh, after 10 or 15 years, what might come? Will AI impact uh, our marketing field? So AI is already impacting our, our marketing, um, whether your your audience knows it or not. And the way that AI is in, interacting and, and influence our media, before I speak, in my opinion, about what's next is, they are automating entire advertising campaigns. Not only are they automating the entire advertising campaign, meaning when it starts, when it finishes, how much budget gets served on a particular day. They're automating the creation of the creative, right? So advertisers are now just bringing in pieces of assets. Those pieces of assets might be a folder with all of the different t-shirts that your business sells, right? And then you have another folder with all of the different slogans and campaign texts that you would actually like to communicate. One of those might say, men's spring t-shirts on sale now another one says uh winter inventory going on sale right all of these things are really just input into a platform and ai technology artificial intelligence is essentially creating different models different layers of that specific ad and creative so that you as an advertiser can learn exactly what's working and what's not it gives you it gives you information more than it does a test and model. You you guys have heard of A B testing, right? Oh, I'll create this A creative and then I'll create this B. I'll put them both in the market and see what happens. I, AI technology allows us an A through Z with one, two, and three options, right? So we're now just inputting the details of the media and allowing AI to actually serve it. What that gives us back is the, the learnings that are really beyond beyond time themselves. Uh, and to speak about time, how that's going to affect us in the future. Well, let's talk about my most recent employer, Google. Google is now pushing a product called Performance Max. Performance Max is essentially a automated campaign technology that determines which platforms you serve your campaign on and it manages the budget based on your goals. So no longer do you say, oh, we wanna drive ROI. Of course you wanna drive a return on your investment. Specifically, you want people to watch a video and then purchase something after watching the video. That's called a view through action, right? I'm viewing through the video, driving me to an action. You can now set up entire campaigns that are based on that action and Google will serve your media across every different medium. That's Google search, that's YouTube, that's Google display ad network, right? All of these mediums essentially to drive one goal. That's what AI technology is enabling us to do in the automation world of advertising. Um, how will AI affect us in the very near future? 
Well, it's my opinion that things like the multiverse, right, the metaverse, places like that will soon give us an opportunity to interact with products in a way that we haven't before. For example, Google is now testing out AI um, video resignation and AR, augmented reality, video recognition, so that someone could look at a car in their driveway before deciding to buy that car. So I want to look at the Mercedes. I want to understand what the detail looks like on the door panel. If I were to open it up and look on the inside, what does the dashboard look like? What if I change the color right right here in my driveway? So I'm looking on my phone at this car that is superimposed in video at real scale so that when I walk up to the car, it gets closer and finer detail. When I scoot back, the car gets bigger in my field of view. I think technology like that is really going to change the way that we test products, the way that we learn about products, and eventually the way that we buy. I personally am somebody who really looks forward to the day where I can try on clothes in my house and then just have them delivered, right? Because I've actually seen what the article looks like on my body. Uh, And then because of, you know, automated technology, I can place that order. I have the option to return with a a predated receipt, things of that nature. So I, I imagine AI really kind of bringing products to us, right? As opposed to us having to rely on the traditional methods. And the reason also, guys, that that is inevitable is because the world as in population is only growing, right? So we are already seeing the impact of travel, of living quarters, of metropolitan cities outgrowing the pace of the population, right? And as smartphones become more prolific and the Wi-Fi internet and access actually gains more sustainability and traction, things like what we're talking about will only become a little bit easier because now Amazon through drones has reached to all areas of India and Gurgaon, you know what I mean? In the South and Goa, wherever you you are really based with Wi-Fi and internet, the organization will be able to get in front of you with their product. So I imagine it's it's going to be a situation like that where we're bringing products to you in the same way that now Uber comes directly to you as opposed to you having to walk outside and find a taxi. Speaking about uh, building a business and how Kushal had mentioned, I think this question is for everybody, including Kushal and Manoj and you. I really want to know and learn about this. Uh, So in a business, how important it is to understand from the real world? That's a great question. And I think it's kind of like a quick, a trick question, <laughs> because on, on the one hand, on the one hand, of course, it's necessary to have your pulse on the industry, right? And understand what is trending, what's happening, how are how are my competitors leveraging technology in a way that I'm not, that's forwarding their business, what technology is available that I'm not even aware of that can help me uh, forward the mission of my business. I think that's very important. But if I could answer your question directly and say how important, I would say it's about 65% important to be aware and knowledgeable about what's happening around you. And the reason I say not 100% is because you don't want to fall into the um, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, which is essentially if one person is doing it, then everybody is doing it. Yeah need not necessarily follow the trend. Right. It would be very easily easy to get lost in, in translation and with the rest of the industry if you are a brand or an advertiser who is consistently behind the curve when it comes to adoption. 
Um, for example, a, a product like I was saying, Performance Max. Every advertiser is not comfortable putting all of their eggs in this one basket to then serve their media across Google platforms. However, when a lot of advertisers are doing that and AI technology is learning from spending that budget, then it will advertisers to actually follow suit, right? Because now the technology is wise enough to understand exactly what you need to do and where you need to be. However, if you're one of those advertisers who is really just doing performance max because you know it's a new trend versus doing your research to understand that, yes, your app, your audience is on a YouTube, they're on um, you know social media, for example. However, there are more efficient ways for you specifically as an advertiser based on your budget, based on your timeline, et cetera, uh, to reach your particular audience. And those particular ways may be going direct to a channel uh, and making that purchase because maybe you see most of your sales on social media and not via video, right? Um, so I think it's it's a kind of a combination of both. And like I said, that split is probably somewhere around the 65 to 35. I think uh, uh, if I have to analyze this, I think you are saying that you have to maintain authenticity with the you know current trends. Current trends, absolutely. And then also being willing to, to test, right? Because oftentimes the advertisers that see a lot of success, specifically a lot of success that kind of comes out of nowhere, right? They are the advertisers who are willing to take a risk on something and then they see a great amount of return. Um, some of those advertisers these days might be the brands that are going direct to consumer that are consumer brands, but they're only selling their product on Amazon or on social media, right? They could try, you know, traditional advertising across the internet and drive people to site, but because their product is direct to consumer, they decided I'm actually just going to go where the consumer is, where the consumer is purchasing which is in some of these retail marketing websites. Uh, Manoj, do you, uh, do you want to add something to this? Uh, yes, I would love to add, you know, to what Brandon uh, mentioned, you know, so along with this, you know, so it is really important for us to focus on what region is doing uh, perfectly well, you know, with what products. Okay, so the US market is totally different, you know, than the APAC region, you know, the Australian market would be totally different than what uh, the India market is, right? So. Uh, if India has banned TikTok, you know, so, but still, you know, APAC region is still live with TikTok. So how effectively, you know, we can use that particular platforms or channels, you know, plays a very vital role. If we see the Luma scape of digital marketing, okay, so there are many agencies, many digital marketers, you know, so uh, who comes and who cannot even sustain in the, in the domain, you know, they take, uh, they go up the ladder, you know, and they again fall down, they again, you know, go and again, uh, try to crawl up, you know, crawl down and they do a lot of things, you know, so, but sustainability and consistency is very much important in this domain. So as much as you are with the trend, so uh, with respect to B2B marketing, you know, you have to use totally a different strategy with respect to B2C, you know, you have to use a different strategy. So, uh, and, and also with respect to uh, 2023 is coming here, right? So the marketing automation, as as Brandon mentioned, that is also playing a very vital role in the in the domain. So we have to upgrade and update ourselves just the way you know how our systems will also get upgrade and update update on daily basis. So it is really important for us to focus on 
what is happening around us just like you know the way we are doing it today like podcast you know communicating to the people talking to the people you know talking to uh the digital marketers you know will actually leverage our business skills as well so i think we are on the right track you know to leverage ourselves and and the knowledge you know yeah, what, that's what actually true so i think uh, what becomes essential is you know having to tell a story right a story that people can resonate with relate with so i think again this question is all of you for all of you right so as much as we speak about all the analytics data and etc etc that's all is there but in order for any of these to work we must have the ability to connect to our consumers on a very personal level right i mean in a way that you know they buy or see our products they must truly feel something in their hearts so how do you think the modern brands and businesses can do this you know to build a relativity factor to the consumer not just to the consumer to each and every individual consumer how do you build that relativity factor through marketing or through any of the tools that you guys are mentioning right now yeah if i can start um the first way with regard to storytelling is to start with how the product and or service actually is utilized by your consumer right one of the things that we all really love about apple is that apple doesn't go into the specs of their products right they just show people using apple right they just they just show they show you what the camera feature does you know i love the new commercial that has the the video action um capability where the mom is holding her camera like this and she's running alongside of her son but the the purpose of that commercial is to show you that there's a video stabilization feature within the camera so that you can be moving but you get a smooth picture right and it's such a brilliant way of of really explaining the value proposition of this new technology by us witnessing this you know mom running alongside of her son so i think finding the connection and that that is storytelling right and they didn't even have to use words for that it is really uh, they connect uh, on a very personal level basically what i have asked for like you know i think there is one ad where the kid is using the camera and she's just running uh, all the way around uh, for a uh, holding the phone uh i think yeah that ad is also good and also the get a mac campaign was very successful because uh, you know there was pc and there was mac and they were just you know telling the stories to each other i don't know if you guys have seen this uh but they yeah that was a very successful campaign from apple and mac came out with personalization that's that's kind of where that came from we went from this standardized cookie cutter computers are really only for people that work in the business sense to now computers are for students and computers are for creators and if you're somebody who has an individual style you can personalize your computer to your style um so th- those are yeah those are very great innovations and i think that that's the way that any brand or our advertiser or marketer should really think about their product and or service in 2023 is think about the the literal utilization of product and the value exchange for consumer and figure out a way to tell that story so, so uh, yeah. it's i think it's i mean uh, along with that brand uh, do you think i mean anything else like uh, is it only storytelling or any other essential parts or services okay i was just going to say the other, the other part is um it's it's highlighting the value of said product right so storytelling is great yeah you can you can tell a great story that just doesn't resonate right or yeah that's a good story but it doesn't make sense for me 
But that's different than telling a story about this is my product. This is how my product works. I, I know, Kushal, that you have a product that's specifically around billing. Yes. If you were to do a, a, a 30 second YouTube ad, right? You could do that billing ad where you're literally walking someone through the platform and showing them how easy it is to actually submit these expenses on the platform. Yeah, yeah. You could also do a separate ad entirely that's two colleagues communicating and the one saying, oh, I already did that done. I I already got that done. I used this, you know, this billing platform that was super easy. And then that's also communicating the utility of the product without showing the product. In both instances, you're using storytelling to demonstrate how the product is used and how it's beneficial to a consumer. The difference is how you actually display it, right? Um, One instance, it could be a human being talking about the benefits of using said service. The other one could just be showing them how easy it is to use. And I think that, you know, Apple is kind of doubling, but just to use them as an example, because we did before, they're kind of dabbling between the two, where some of their commercials are the consumer actually using the product, right? The other commercial for the Apple iPhone 14 Max Pro, I think is just the phone on the screen and they're showing you all the enhancements, right? The camera feature opens up to that band, you turn it this way, it does this. They're just showing you the features. So both of those are, yeah, both of those are exactly what we're talking about, right? You either use a consumer or you use the device itself to show you how it actually operates. So I think for any particular brand, marketer, advertiser, it's about thinking about how your product is used and how can you communicate that to your particular audience in a way that's very succinct and that's almost fail-proof. I ordered a new MacBook, okay, just just two days ago. I just bought it. Macs are really Macs are really intense, right? Like they have a lot of features. You want to know what directions came with my MacBook? This one page. <laughs> <laughs> These people are really minimalistic, right? <laughs> this is this is what the MacBook came with. That MacBook can do any. People are people are running entire businesses. They're, they're managing countries off of MacBooks, but they have simplified, they've simplified the product down to a way that all you have here is what's necessary. Other things will be intuitive. And then on the platform, on the product itself are video tutorials that show you how to do everything, right? And then they rely on those YouTube videos of people doing reviews and things like that to help educate you further. But it's a simplicity structure. And Apple didn't used to do this. I, I've been buying Macs for a long time. It didn't used to come with only this one piece of paper, right? Um, but they're recognizing not only in a sustainability mindset, right, of us not being wasteful in society, but as it pertains to the vital information about what a customer needs to know in order to have success, you have to simplify that message. My uh, one framework, if I can give, give you all and, and your listeners a framework, around storytelling specifically, it's these three things in telling any story. Care, do, and impact. What should your consumer care about? What are you trying to communicate? What should they do about the information that you are giving them? And then what impact will that action have? 
right? Care, do, and impact is a very healthy structure for, for communicating, for telling story. And it also helps us simplify the message that we're trying to communicate. So when you're telling a story, right? Like, let's say there is Apple, obviously, they've, you know, been there in the industry for like more than, you know, many years and decades. But uh, like, you know, for the people who are just starting out, like there are many other, you know, brands like Apple, you know, there's uh, really, there's other, 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 I don't know if you've heard of these brands, but when you tell a story, how do you stand out? Like uh, with the story itself or with the commercial itself, how important and necessary it is to stand out uh, with your story from all the others? Like, how do you design that? Yeah, it's, it's deep research and consideration about your offering, right? Every company has something unique, even if the business that they have is the exact same as somebody else's business. If I might give you an example, Manoj and I previously worked at a location advertising technology company, right? We specifically used location signals to serve the ads. Now, there were about five or six other players that do the exact same thing, right, Manoj? In addition to the big dogs like the Googles and the trade desk who can do the same thing that we were doing. But what we did was at that organization is we found the niche in our technology, which is to say that not only can we use location as a signal, but because we have this blueprint technology, which is proprietary to us, we can actually package those blueprints and sell that as our story. So no longer were we going to Walmart and say, hey, we can target anybody who lives at Walmart or anyone who lives in this specific zip code near a Walmart. No, we were saying we've created a way to package all consumers who have visited a Walmart in this specific area. And now we've bundled those audiences that you might be able to retarget them and re-engage those audiences as previous visitors or historical visitors to a Walmart store. So again, we didn't necessarily reinvent the wheel, but what we did was we found something that was very niche about what we did. And then we highlighted those factors for our customer base. You know, if you're a billing platform, just like every other billing platform, maybe you've built in, you know, a, a simplistic format that allows consumers to graze through the process and that's your differentiator. Perhaps your differentiator is the customer service that you offer vis-a-vis people, real people as opposed to human as opposed to you know computers. Um, any any one of these things can be highlighted as a niche and as a business differentiator. But that's why I said I think it starts with deep listening and a deep understanding of exactly how your product fits into the rest of the eco space. And that's why you always see on virtually every website, uh, if you're trying to compare services, right? We all, all three of us do this. Only two of us do this. We're the only ones who do this. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Most of the people. Manoj, do you have something to add, Kushal? Manoj? Uh, yeah, yeah, buddy. So I think one of the key points, you know, so Brandon has been my mentor, you know, for about, for about since we know each other, you know, so we have worked together, as you mentioned. But one of the important core aspects of getting into the solution aspect is to finding out the problem. Okay, so problem identification is very much important and that plays a very vital role, right? So, and and the and that will lead you to the dream outcome of your particular product. Let's say, you know, this pen, you know, so this is a very oldest ad, you know, if you remember, why do you need pen? Okay, so in order to put a signature on the papers, right? So, of course, you know, now all digital signatures are there, 
but still you know in order to sell this pen you want the pen to you know do a signature or a, or a sign you know so that's where the marketing started so the need of uh, the product you know so to create the need of the product or you know uh, so the inventories that is required is very much important you know in, in the market and also uh, when it comes to automobile industry so we we have maruti right so we have maruti swift we also have ferrari right so why do you think you know someone who's who wants to buy uh, maruti swift you know should dream of buying ferrari even though you know the many features in the in the ferrari car is is quite minimal you know uh, do you think uh, uh, as many as five people can get into ferrari or do you think you know uh, as many as uh, five people can get into maruti swift so why do you think you know ferrari has got more value proposition compared to uh, maruti right so it's high value high high price so that's where the price value discrepancy will come into line so these are pretty much uh, uh understanding and worth of the product right so we need to understand what is the worth of your product we need to understand what is the service that you are offering to right so these are the aspects that we should consider and to be more relatable so i think if you're saying if i'm getting this right uh the value of the product uh, we should be able to communicate the value of the product uh, if i'm not wrong anuj and random and its importance yes yeah it's really important that we have to communicate how yeah exactly yes so when brand and i used to work for an enterprise accounts you know we never thought of amount you know that we are getting but we were talking about more value that we are trying to give to our customers correct me if i'm wrong brandon yeah so we were almost discussing for hours together you know discussing about what value we can give to our customers you know that, rather than what is that we can get from customers you know so so that's where the key you know so what value is that you are trying to give that is a very good uh, interesting guy i have a very good question now so <laughs> so let's say uh, today i start a brand okay like today i'm just a 20 year old i'm i've passed out of college and today i want to start a brand and i want to start a brand like a, a brand like maybe a you know let's say a big brand i don't want to take any names but let's say a big brand which has something to tell or uh, which stands for something and i want to relate to all the young generations young z gen z kids that you call right so how do i start where do i start with you know how do i start building this process of building a brand okay well you want to start off building a brand so the first thing i would do is do a little bit of research and identify some of your biggest competitors basically consider the space that you're going into whether it's technology or hotels whatever identify a handful of very big competitors who are very good at what they do and have a lot of brand recognition and then you start dissecting exactly what it is that you love about this brand right or that general consumers love about this brand and then also try to write down as much as what you can think about what they are doing to promote their brand i'm going to use a brand like a hotel a company like Hilton for example Hilton Hilton has name recognition they also have a worldwide conglomerate of hotels that people can join they also have membership rewards but i might not have as much as resources as Hilton has so that's where my point is like you know i'm starting very much yeah of course yeah i mean he he i mean he's like uh, you were uh, going to target a bigger brand i mean Uh-huh. Okay, you're coming from there. Huh? Yeah, I'm say- I'm saying because I you wanted to consider the space. Like I'm I'm saying if you're going to start a new brand, yeah, you have to consider the space first. So, what are the what are the big players already doing and um understand what's working, right? Because there there's learnings there. Even if you don't do exactly what they do, there's learnings there. Uh 
So you understand, okay, this is the industry. This is a handful of really big players. And then you start thinking, how can we differentiate ourselves in the same space? Okay. That's what you, that's where you have to start. It's not to say that we're not going to have the same offering. What can we offer that's going to be different? So you could have a hotel service that also comes with a car, right? That would be incredible, right? There's not any hotel that I can think of that also offers you a car as a part of your rental package. Now, that's something, if, again, if you think about the, the simplicity of that, it's it may, maybe $50 more for the hotel for me to also add a car onto my reservation, but that would be a huge differentiating factor in this space. So you start there. Um, start with the space, what's happening, what can I do, or what do we have that's going to differentiate us within the space? And then I think you, after that, you think about your consumer base because it's not good enough just to have a great idea and a great product and company, right? You actually have to have people to purchase it. Um, so then I'd go to that consumer base. And in the same vein, I would say, think about who your competitors' customers are. How do they differentiate from your customer? It's very possible that they don't, right? A business traveler is just a business traveler, right? For, for hotel purposes sake. However, a business traveler who is environmental about the way that they think about their stay to say that you're gonna get a hotel rate, but we're also gonna give you an economically friendly car, a green car, right? Now I've just created a niche audience within this much larger context of audience that's very generalized. Um, so that would be the second, right? First is competition. Second is your consumer. And then third is going to be your business goals and exactly how you're going to get there. So some brands might say, we don't have the budget to do online advertising. We're going to work within the means that we have of free advertising, which are going to be, you know, articles that are written by reputable organizations. It could also be social media content, which is free to post and can easily be caught on and be seen. Right. Um, and, and, and really kind of take it from there. You have to work within the bounds of what you're working with. Um, and then to go along with that third one, I would say consult a professional. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean reach out to a consultant who's going to ask you to pay, you know, an arm and a leg for their services. But it could be something as simple as tapping on your network reaching out to people who are very tenured in the industry. I think people often underestimate the goodwill of human nature, right? Even this conversation, we're all here because we want to help educate the industry, not because, you know, somebody's being paid under the table or we're promoting a, a service or anything like that on the back wheel. So I think that the third thing is, is really bringing in experts who can actually help illuminate the problem or a potential solution that you're trying to solve for. As a very young brand, those are three things that you can do that really shouldn't cost you any money, but they will honestly get you a very long way toward either launching your company or creating a unique value proposition that will actually sustain your company. Yeah, I have input here. If yeah. you are planning to start a brand or anything, huh. you can contact us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That, that's a very good start. Yeah, that's... And I think one another thing, you know, that, that we are supposed to focus on, you know, the urgency, you know, that is required in the market, right? So, and also the amount of efforts that you would like to put in. And what is the ample amount of time that you can give for your customers, you know, whether you can do this particular work in 
in in by two hours or three hours you know whether whether you can get as many leads as possible to your client within three months of the given time you know with with respect to digital marketing right so when when a, when a customer come and say to you you know you want to increase the sales you know or if they want to increase sales what is the action steps that you would like to take and what is the ample amount of time that you need so okay so all that is very much important you know when it comes to uh, go go around with the business and what is the scarcity you know that the present situation why do you think there are uh, so many agencies you know evolving over the period of time the digital advertising world why do you think you know so uh, that's because you know everyone each and every digital marketer is identifying one problem you know and one solution he's coming up with and and uh, big giants like google and amazon they are all buying all these you know all these solutions that 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 people has got so so that that's where just to add to what manoj just said and to make that very much more real retail marketing is not a subject that really even existed to the sense that it does today or years ago right right before the pandemic the only quote unquote retail marketing that was really happening was amazon and then like target roundell had a, a internal platform that was based on you know first party target subscribers walmart was starting something like that what the niche is is a retail marketing agency right a few guys who know retail marketing platforms in and out who can go to an advertiser and say, hey, we know exactly how to market, what the audience options are, what the different levers are to pull on these different retail marketers. Give us your retail marketing budget and we can manage that for you. That is literally like, I'm, I'm sure that there are a dozen advertising agencies that sprung up specifically with the retail marketing niche over the course of the pandemic that are doing very, very well right now. Um, so again, like you don't necessarily even have to redefine the wheel in order to find a place in the. That's an absolutely valid point. And even during the COVID period, you know, so there was no question to start where OTT and CTV was, but there was a need to begin OTT and CTV. So that's where, you know, you should uh, visionize and, you know, use the opportunity that that is laid in front of you. I think after COVID, a lot of things have yeah, changed. Pretty much has changed. Of, uh, marketing and everything and know the way that we are utilizing the platforms right? after covid and after uh chat gpt pretty yes. much has changed these days yeah that's big thing that uh, we want to address what do you have what do you guys have to say about uh chat gpt and how it's going to change uh, in terms of content and everything <laughs> man chat gpt is a beast <laughs> listen i was i was uh three weeks ago i was not a believer i thought it was kind of um a lazy <laughs> a lazy kind of but I'll be honest, I went onto the platform because I have a business concept that I'm um, I'm flushing out and the results that I received from some of the prompts that I gave were very helpful. <laughs> they were very helpful. So what I think is, honestly, I think that platforms, and this is AI again, right? You guys asked earlier, how is AI going to help us in the future? AI is going to help do a lot of the minutia of the work that was really tedious for human beings to get done. Things like things like drawing up contracts, drawing up business plans, creating a marketing strategy, creating a sequential marketing strategy, creating a strategy around holidays, creating a strategy around new product launches. 
there is more than enough sample data in the internet for AI to help inform us on some of those things. So the amount of companies that are going to be launched over the course of the next three years, I'm sure it's going to rival the first 15 years of the new millennia, um, of the new 2000s, right? And the reason being is because these ideas are going to be so easy to pick from. Um, and it's obviously even more, it's more easier than ever to begin a company these days. I mean, you literally can click four buttons on a handful of different websites and now all of a sudden you have an LLC. Um, and if you can do that and chat GPT will write the code for you so that you can execute specific functions, naturally what you'll have is like a huge influx of organizations um, and, and employment opportunities. But I think that those, those platforms are really awesome, really nascent also. I think that this is, we're probably honestly going to see a little bit of the, uh, the doomsday mentality as well, where like AI is threatening humanity because we've given it too much information. I think, that, I, I'll be honest, I think that's inevitable as well. We're probably going to see AI turn, you know, somewhat bad and, and uh, what's the word? Um, not necessarily conscious, but what's the word that I'm looking for? It's, you know, self-aware, right? Like we may see that, we may see that self-awareness in our lifetime um, and how that's going to impact business who who absolutely knows but i think it's going to really help us yeah life is easier with AI. yeah and it's gonna but, but the, the inclusion of ai and forms like this is really gonna propel businesses and business models to another level um but that's gonna make it the the eco space very competitive it's also gonna give people an, a big opportunity to you know make a lot of money and i really love the opportunity to learn from AI in this in this context. So it's hard to be so pessimistic about it. I think over the period of time, over the period of time, we will have a lot of employers than employees, you know, so with, with AI technology, I believe so. <laughs> Brandon, do you, I mean, uh, like, uh, is there any other rivalry brand coming from Google to compete uh, ChatGPT or anything as such? Uh, not that I can speak on it particularly. Um, you know, coming from coming from Google in particular. And honestly, I think chat GPT is well ahead of its time. I think it's I think it's well ahead of its time. I think the tools that we have available four or five years from now that are built on chat GPT are going to be far superior than what even chat GPT can do today. I don't think that there's anything personally that I'm aware of rivaling what they're doing. Do you think like it might impact or uh, Google in any way? Like for example, in ChatGPT, you'll ask something, you'll get the uh, exact result or exact answer to be specific. But in Google, it's like a list of all the different website links. So it's completely different. So do you think it will impact Google in any way? I think in the sense that Google, yes, yes, I do. I, I think even that's why the layoffs just happened at Google. You know, they laid off 12,000 people, not just because advertising, uh, advertiser sales are down, right? Some of these brands aren't spending as much money on search, but the reality is the bigger opportunity is in AI. And so they slowed down hiring. Google did six months ago, not across the entire industry, across every industry except AI engineering, <laughs> you know, 
Um, so, so their goal is essentially to create something that does rival chat GPT. And here's how I could imagine something like that coming to fruition. I don't know this for a fact. I'm just saying hypothetically. ChatGPT is really amazing at giving you information. It often gives you information that you're not looking for or information that's incomplete. But the beauty of the platform is that you can ask it the exact same prompt and it will give you a different answer each time. So it's almost it's asking you to refine what you would like to see so that it can give you a better output. Google has access to virtually the entire Internet and first party data sources, first party information. So imagine a chat GPT that gives you an underlined link for every factual piece of information that they provide you so that you can do further research on it, right? So that when I ask a question about retail media, chat GPT tells me the retail media space has been blowing up tremendously since the beginning of the COVID pandemic area. It makes up $45 billion of revenue of which 90% is brought in by Amazon. Okay, I wanna know about that 5%. In that link, it could say $45 billion and you click on it and then now it breaks down how all of those that money is being spent across the different players. That's something that I can see Google adding that a chat GPT can't necessarily add right now because Google has access to the first party data information websites that can actually fill in those blanks. Whereas ChatGPT, as my understanding is, it's truly just scanning the internet and scanning all of these like former profiles and historical information and then compiling a story for you. But it doesn't necessarily give you the tools and the resources that you may need in order to substantiate the claim that it's making and, and giving to you in a result. Yes, I think uh, if Google is getting into the AI industry, I think it has a higher edge over ChatGPT, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because of this access to the data. Yeah. So um, how was your journey with Google, Brandon? How was it? I mean, how it started uh, with Google and how was it? I'll, I'll say it was definitely very challenging um, to go back to the football analogy. I'm somebody who played football, American football all my life. Um since the age of eight years old. When I got when I graduated high school, I went from being the very best player on my team, and we had a very good team. Uh, maybe four or five other guys also played university football. But when I got to Penn State, my university, all of a sudden I went from being the best person on the team to maybe, you know, in the middle, in the middle of the pack. Like they're half the team is much better than me and they play different positions. That's kind of what it felt like going to Google. You know, it felt like going from being the best player on your team or, or a really good player on your team to now going to an, a team of all stars. Um, so the competition was higher. The, uh, the level of intellect and the experience of a lot of my colleagues was also greater, which naturally pushed me to be better at my job. And I learned a lot from the people that I work with. Um, it's a very machine oriented business, right? They have a system and a process for everything. Whereas most companies that you work for, you know, when you have a question, there's someone that you can go and ask. On Google, it was like, go to MoMA and just type it in, you know, and there's a there's an information digital resource for something like that. Um, and that part of the organization, if I might be candid, 
is not something that I actually appreciated. I'm I'm very much more, and I'm sure Manoj can attest to this. I'm a people-oriented, relation-oriented person. I want to learn from people. I want to educate people. I want to shadow and see your work and have it told by your your ears and your mouth so that I can actually understand it from your perspective. There's a not a lot of room for that in Google because they operate at such a lean, lean scale. For example, there might be maybe five or so people at an agency that service one particular brand. Whereas at Google, there's only two or three people that service that entire agency and four or five other agencies that have five brands each, right? So you're talking about three people at Google who may manage you know, agencies that total 5,000 people and 40 different brands. So it makes it really difficult for uh, Google employees to be as present and offer the level of customer service that is expected by the industry. And I'm sure that if any of you guys have worked with Google at any point in time in your career, you would probably attest that their customer service never actually rivals you know, the level of performance that you see from their brand and their products. Like most people are under impressed by how Google actually shows up as people um, for their conversations and for their meetings. And I think it's because Google operates so lean um, with so few people servicing such wide and great industries. They do this. Google does for profit's sake. Right. If you make more money per employee than the organization is doing better. Um, and they just they just lean on the fact that they own most of the industry. And that's why the clients kind of keep coming back. But that's why we keep saying that customer service or those niche industries, if you are somebody that's starting up a brand new business, there really is a lot of space for you because what advertisers, agencies, brands alike truly, truly need is partners. They don't just need solutions because they don't have time to master solutions, right? They need partners who are masters of solutions, who can communicate the, the service and the benefits better than they can themselves back to their constituents. So my experience was great. Um, I'd also my role had changed during my time at Google. I started out, as my title says, as a sales development manager, which is essentially somebody who just creates the sales narratives for specific products. So for example, one of my first projects was on a performance max uh, narrative. So understand and build out the story that educates these agencies. This is what performance max does, how it works and why you need it. Um, the role changed from that responsibility to more partnering with chief strategy officers, chief planning officers at some of these agencies to talk about their business challenges, marketing challenges, and then educate them on the eco space entirely, as opposed to pushing out a specific Google product. So no longer was my conversation about this is how Performance Max works and why you should use it. It was more, this is what's happening in the eco space that makes automation necessary for your agency, right? And then this is how you can use the different aspects of automation to execute your campaign goals, not specifically down the funnel performance max. That's that's actually alarming us, you know, so where we are supposed to go and our vision, visioning uh, attitude, you know, towards the work. 
Yeah, it's a zoom out. It's it's definitely like you know we're kind of zooming out from the problem, um, and looking at it with a with a higher level of scope. Um, and I think that's that's as necessary as the people who are experts in individual products, right? Because oftentimes advertisers, brands, etc. Like you were saying, Kushal, you asked them if they're getting started, how do they know where to start? Well, you have to start with an understanding of what's happening in the industry, right? If you understand how automation is impacting advertisers, what tools are available to leverage through automation uh, and which channels, then it makes it easier for you to make a decision as opposed to somebody just coming to you with Performance Max specifically and saying, use Performance Max, it can do this, this, and this, and this. I would say to you, well, are other people using it? And like, what other solutions are out there besides Performance Max? And well, why do I need to have a flexible budget that can be spent across different channels as opposed to what we do in our industry, which is say 20% of our budget goes to digital, 5% goes to video, and then we just find partners that fit within that model. Um, you really have to start with a, a purview and a perspective that's larger than the one that they're activating on. That's another way to add value to your partners as well, right? I think every partner wants to feel like they've been educated um, by their partners, not like they've just been sold on a particular you know, product or solution. Yes, I think uh, in the coming episodes, Brandon, you have a, I think you can educate us and our audience a lot about these tools that you're speaking right now as we you know move along the episodes i hope that's the case when you guys get the feedback <laughs> <laughs> yes yes that will be the case pretty much impressed by the you know things that you're bringing on the table that's really good and also many many of us don't know about what you're you know like the insights what you're giving we have no idea how this works right you know from inside uh especially here back back in india uh how google works and how these tools work and I think it's really high time that people should know, right? even the small enterprises that who are starting startups and everything. For people right now, I think digital marketing is just social media marketing. And I think it's high time that they yeah, people know only the basics. basics I mean, of, uh, what they know about digital marketing is just post something in Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. They know just the basics and uh, running ads is like boosting the post in Facebook and Instagram. So. I think uh, we might have to uh, do a do one more episode on how yeah. they can leverage uh, online platforms or advertising platforms. We have to buzz this myth that you know digital marketing is not just social media marketing. I think we are going to do along as we explore you know in the episodes you know in future. I think we have to buzz this myth, right? What do you have to say, Manoj, Brandon, and Kushal? I'll let Manoj go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. You know, so as. Uh, yeah, I think I'm very much sure that, you know, Brandon would, would be, uh, would love to join us, you know, for the future uh, podcast as well, you know, as and then the episodes come. And, and as he mentioned, you know, so the number of audience get attracted, you know, and understanding what we are talking about, you know, that makes more, uh, more uh, matured podcasting level, you know, that we can take uh, towards, right? So definitely, you know, uh, I am in, you know, for the, future podcasts and, and definitely you know we can uh move further ahead. another way another way to continue this conversation gents is um very much like the same way that we talked about the branding exercise before right help a consumer help your listener understand the utility of this conversation by making it more real right so when i was speaking earlier about you know automation and 
campaign budget automation, things of that nature. For a consumer, like we need to actually speak about how how does that automation reach me? How does that reach my phone? And the reason I say that we have that conversation is because most of your users, or excuse me, most of your listeners, if not all of your listeners, are also consumers, right? So they are participating. We are participating in this eco space. We are actually uh, maybe the test dummies, right? We're the, we're the guinea pigs for this technology. And what we see on our phone is a result of the automation tactics, the audience targeting tactics, right? The segmentation, uh, the day parting, the A-B testing. We are literally a part of this eco space right now. Um, And so making that more real for your users, for your listeners, I think will also help illuminate this industry. And that's actually a mission of mine. as I'm sure you guys are aware, there's a, and I don't think we spoke about it a ton, although I noticed it was in your questions, diversity in the advertising industry, right? Um, this That's why this conversation is very important because for whatever reason, many people, specifically many people of color, are not aware of the utilization of technology to appeal to them, to get us to do something, to get us to move, to get us to buy something. And we represent a huge buying population of the entire consumer eco space, right? So it would behoove us also to understand exactly how we're contributing and to what we're contributing. And the best way to do that, again, is through storytelling. How can we bring in a forum like this, exercises or even thought experiments that help illuminate this is exactly how these brands are buying and vying for your attention, right? Uh, that That's why the bumper ad, like I spoke about before, is so effective on YouTube because you're already watching content on YouTube. They instituted this six second ad that you can't even skip. Right. You can't skip it. So I know that your attention is there. I wonder how many people recognize that when they don't skip that ad, how it continues to play and you no longer have the option to skip it. Right. There's a product that's a literal product that Google built. And they did that because they said if somebody doesn't intentionally skip after the first six seconds of this ad, they're either paying attention and they're engaged in the ad because they're curious about what this service is or they don't have their hands on the keyboard and they're probably listening, which means that if we finish this ad, they're going to either see the full ad in its entirety or they're gonna hear it in its entirety. Either way, the brand's message, which is creating awareness, creating consideration for this advertised product has been fulfilled. Google now fulfills their promise of ensuring that there is viewability or high completion rate of that content that you just viewed as a consumer, right? So the, like these things are actually happening to us <laughs> throughout our daily experience online, right? And helping people understand a little bit more that that's why you're seeing that ad when you're on that website, looking at that one thing, that ad that's on the right, that's targeted toward you. You know what I mean? I'm on ad exchanger right now on, a, on another screen here behind my laptop. And one of the first ads is for an industrial review conference. They're throwing a conference. They want people to sign up. Why am I being served that ad? Because I'm on an advertising site, right? There's a conference that's happening that's industry knowledge. Um, 
all of these things are really tied into the the consumer experience. But what we're seeing is that there is more and more a blending of the consumer experience and the advertised experience that now just service to be the experience that you have online. Yes, that's pretty interesting. I think as in more and more the episodes comes in, uh, so the, these podcasts should get into the veins of the people and then they should understand the realistic nature of the digital marketing, right? So definitely, you know, uh, I I'm, I hope, you know, definitely, you know, we will move ahead and, and we will, you know, telecast this and then, you know, most of them, most of the audiences would love listening to us and and uh, I think we are going towards the right right side of the, the journey. So one yeah. last question for Brandon. I mean, uh, you can yes. put it uh, uh, like uh, for anyone who wants to jo- uh, start digital marketing, uh, I mean, who wants to learn digital marketing or start digital marketing or who wants to enter digital marketing, do you have any recommendation or suggestions for them? Brandon? Uh, the first would be talk to people like yourselves. <laughs> You know, reach out, reach out to the people that run this podcast because these guys are experts in the field of digital marketing, digital advertising and technology. Uh, and like I said, this information is, is very learnable. It's very shareable. It's very digestible. So long as you have the stories that actually help the information to resonate. Uh, the second thing would be to tap into your network. Right. So whether it be myself, you can find me on LinkedIn, Brandon uh, Beecham, uh, any of these gentlemen and really start to read and pay attention to what people are saying and talking about in the industry. The along with that, po- that point would be using podcasts. There's a few podcasts that I enjoy. If I can name drop a few ad exchanger, the big story, digital marketing numbers by eMarketer. Um, these are essentially podcasts that really just talk about what's actually happening in the industry, whether that be acquisitions, uh, new product developments, things of that nature. Oftentimes that jargon, the words and the language that's used in those podcasts can be difficult to understand if you're not already in the industry. But again, that's why my first point of reference was to reach out to your network because having very basic conversations like the one that we're having or like the one that I might have with someone that I reach out to on LinkedIn would really help me ground myself in the context of what's being spoken about on these podcasts, right? So that's the first part is just expanding your information and your information intake within the industry. The second thing would be if you're somebody who's looking to find or third thing, maybe even if you're looking to find work in this industry, I would um, really just go on to a job board or a LinkedIn and start with keywords that are skill sets that you currently have. So if you are somebody who is good at analysis or good at building decks, right, start with those keywords in this particular industry and you'd find opportunities. Um, In the same token, I would tell those listeners, don't be afraid, especially if you're someone who's making a career transition. Don't be afraid to step backwards in order to go forward. Oftentimes, especially when you're switching industries, people end up taking a lower title, maybe even a pay cut, things of that nature. Um, I would say specifically for technology that it's worthwhile because we are still even in 2023, at the very early stages of the tech innovation boom in in the entire world. So the jobs that are available today will be very, very basic level jobs 10 years from now. 
now when this industry has grown by 30 or 40 percent, meaning the actual available jobs right, will grow by 30 or 40 percent. And if you're in a market like New York City, where the starting salary might be $60,000, um, and that's in New York City, whereas, you know, most people are making $60,000 across the entire United States, uh, across all industries. So it's like if you make that pivot, even getting in at the ground stage could be really a huge opportunity for you in, career, in your career. It was for me. I was somebody who went from being an account director and managing sales to being on the back end as a campaign manager, just optimizing campaigns. Fast forward these seven years, I just finished you know, a term at Google and now I'm gonna go off and start my own thing. Um, it's a very learnable space and, and very learnable skill set. The other thing is there's a lot of opportunity to continue to learn. If I'm uh, even the, the, the subjects that we cross today, chat GPT did not exist when we all started in advertising. AI campaign automation was not an option when we all started in advertising. Audience segmentation was just starting when we all joined advertising vis-a-vis programmatic. And even then, it wasn't like, I want to target people, men who are interested in purchasing shirts. It was just, I want to target men ages 18 to 25. Um, Location context. Basically, what I'm trying to number out is these are all subsects of advertising and technology that virtually did not even exist when we joined this industry. Now there are full teams at organizations that are built around this particular capacity. What does that mean? The opportunity to learn and the opportunity for jobs, right? So yeah, that's why I really encourage people like, if you're gonna take a leap on something, I love art. It's a huge risk to take a leap and try and be an artist, right? And like, and create your own art. Joining technology and and taking that risk to leave whatever your particular industry is, whether it's finance, whether it's education, um, whether it's a very much a layman job, and, and you're somebody who works with your hands. Technology is very learnable and it's very much evolving. So you will, you don't have a choice but to evolve with this industry. And with that evolution comes opportunity. Uh, and, and it's seemingly endless at this point. Correct. That's a very good point. I think uh, we can conclude right now. Or you, do you have anything, well, you have anything uh, to say? Oh, well, I'm good. I'm, I'm so honored, you know, uh, to have uh, Brandon, you know, it's been quite a long time, Brandon, since we had a chat like this, you know, and, and alongside with my friends and colleagues, you know, it's been amazing to have you uh, over here. So uh, I think, you know, we will have more of uh, conversations like this in future. And, uh, and, you know, we would love to have you as our uh, guest, you know, and, uh, you know, give us more knowledge on digital marketing and, uh, and also our audiences to understand and to make gene, uh, digital marketing as our gene, you know, in our, as a DNA in our body. So, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, I hope this has been helpful. And I, um, I, I've, I've also I've been trying to be cognizant of the fact that not everyone uh, is in this industry, right? Not Maybe not everyone speaks English as fluently as you guys do and so beautifully. Um, so I hope that the context of what we've been speaking about is very much understandable and tangible. Um, but I'm also happy to continue the dialogue and, and sort of dial back where we're talking about this kind of industry jargon again to make it more real because uh 
an ambition of mine is to see more diversity to get to that earlier point in this industry. And I think what that, in order to get to more diversity, we need to make the understanding of the information and, and the skill sets more digestible and more accessible for people. And that starts with just the education and right and just understanding what's actually happening. Because I can tell you, as a young black man going to university, when I was interested in, in getting into advertising in 2011, when I was in university, this part of advertising, I didn't even know existed. In the year 2011. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as, as being involved in the digital marketing and the capacity that we're involved in it. And so it's my goal to make that accessible and tangible for others uh, to, to learn and to grow in this same space. Yes, yes. <laughs> but anyhow, Brandon, it was really great having you on the show. I think the insights that you've shared has been really be, you know, really helpful for, the, for our audience. And uh, I would really, you know, we would really love to have you on the show for furthermore episode. Let's create like a series is what we are thinking. And I think along the way we explore in the podcast, I think we'll really build informative uh, episodes and True. we'll create a very good structure for our audience is what I'm thinking right now. And yeah, really, it was really great. You're to really honored, uh, yeah. Brandon. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. My pleasure. I look forward to the next time. Don't even hesitate. I'm already, I'm a, I'm a yes already. So just let me know. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Marketeers podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. This helps us reach more listeners and bring you more great content. And don't forget to follow us on social media for even more insights and updates. Until next time, this has been the Marketeers podcast.